because there has been a decree now issued, uh, supposedly by the king, but really by Haman, that all the Jews are to be exterminated, annihilated, destroyed, and otherwise gotten rid of on the uh, 13th day of the 12th month, about 11 months from now. That would not make the Jews feel particularly secure. And so that's where we're at. Uh, and we see the reaction of the Jews to uh, this terrible crisis, this terrible plight that is coming upon them. So Esther chapter 4, let somebody read 1 to 3. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. And he went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in each and every province, where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Alright, so what's the uh, understandable reaction of the Jews? Wailing. Wailing. Grief. And how did they display their grief? Yes, which was a typical way of dressing to show that you were in mourning. They're in mourning because of the anticipated uh, destruction of the race. And that includes Mordecai, which means he can't even go into the, the, the palace area uh, because no one in mourning was allowed to do that. Comments or questions on that reaction? Where did the sackcloth and ashes come from? What does that mean? Uh, well, it means they put on, I guess, clothes that were made out of sacks. I don't know a whole lot about that. Do you know any more, Kyle? Uh, I mean, no, I don't know where the, the, they would have gotten the sackcloth. Uh, was the custom even originated? Well, that was back in Abraham's day, even, wasn't it? It's a long time. I mean, so that's been, I, I believe that's all the way back in but, Genesis. You know, why ashes and sackcloth? Why not? tree bark and... Well, you know, I think probably, because, I mean, I think we, we kind of do that now. I mean, it's kind of like, I wouldn't even say, I guess kind of an expression, although it's a physical display, rather than just a verbal expression. Like today when black? Yes. The funeral? Yes, that's it, probably the closest parallel we have. I mean, you see some people put dust on their head rather than ashes. I don't know, I mean, kind of making yourself miserable is the idea. Because, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, you, you know, you're tearing your clothes, uh, which is, you know, what's valuable to you, showing, you know, it's an outward sign of you're physically displacing yourself from comfort because you're troubled by whatever this is. Uh, same thing that did with fasting. And it's, it's as he fasted, right? Yeah. It's as he fasted. Yeah. And, I mean, at the end of the chapter, we'll see Esther fasting yes. for three days. Yes, and Mordecai and the Jews. Yeah, and certainly fasting is that. I mean, fasting is, you know, you're concentrating on something else. You know, you're, you're, you're not, you're going to give up any time you would have spent eating, you know, because you're concerned about whatever else it is. I don't know why, I don't know why Ash, I mean, I guess that's just kind of how it began. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know. There's a lot of customs that I don't know if we can figure out why. <laughs> Even some of our own. <laughs> yeah. So. Alright. Other thoughts? Well, um, how, how will this play out then? Uh, four through nine. 
Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai, that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hacketh from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So Hacketh went out went out to Mordecai into the to the city square in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her, and to her, and to order her to go in to the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. And Haggis came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. All right. Well, so what does Esther try to do to, uh, you know, uh, help Mordecai? Go shopping. <laughs> yeah. Sends him some new clothes. Well, he's wearing sackcloth. Well, right, but you would tend to think that there might be a reason for that, and so maybe first you should ask why. Mm, interesting thought. <laughs> instead of just being like... Why didn't she ask him what was wrong instead of just sending him clothes like as if he didn't have anything better to wear? You know, it seems kind of superficial here. You know, you're dealing with the uh, outward display and not with the source of the grief. You know, he's trying to solve the problem by improving his appearance. So I agree. I thought that was kind of uh, shallow on her part. And the king, or and Mordecai? Yeah, he refuses the clothes. The clothes is not the issue. <laughs> you know, he could have worn nice clothes if he wanted to. So then... Um, you know, Esther ordered Hathak to find out what Mordecai is grieved over. And Mordecai tells him exactly about the decree, even about how much Haman was going to pay the king to exterminate the Jews, and in fact gave Hathak a copy of the extermination decree to share with Esther. So she's got now documentary evidence. She can see the situa- seriousness of the situation for herself. And Hathak comes back and tells Esther. Now what is it that Mordecai is suggesting that Esther do? Yes. You know, she's obviously got influence. She's the queen. Use the influence to try to persuade the king to do something to reverse the edict. That seems like a reasonable thing for Mordecai to request. Comments and questions to this point. So, obviously, it wasn't a huge deal to Mordecai that no one, no one ever could know about her being a Because, I mean, he tells the eunuch and he wants her to tell the king, and so... Makes me think that he's starting to not consider that so important. I agree with you. Okay. Yes. Yes, I think he's starting to let the mask slip a little bit here. Okay. After all, there's a crisis. Right. Good point. Other thoughts? 
Right. Well, maybe his reason for concealing it is gone. She's now the queen. Well, no, the edict's been issued. Well, he concealed it when she was taken there to be married to him. Right, that was before the edict was issued. But he didn't know anything of the edict. At that time, there was no reason. Well, I think maybe he was trying to avoid there being one. You're saying he was trying to avoid problems and now that we already have this huge problem, well... Right. He was trying to conceal the identity of the Jews because he knew there was hatred of the Jews from some. I mean, we established a reason as to why he initially didn't want his Jewishness to be revealed. The text never says. Right. And, and that was between Haman and Mordecai, not between the king. That's true. Yeah. I'm just thinking you wouldn't want to tell anybody because it may give back to Haman or it may give back to whoever other Agagites or whoever else might hate the Jews. I, I mean, I, is there a better explanation? I don't know why he didn't want her to tell. I wondered if he thought that there would be, that it might diminish her chances to become queen and after becoming queen might diminish her chances to have greater influence over the king. That maybe the Jews were looked down upon or he thought so. I'm not at all sure that they were. I mean, in the sense that when the story's all over, the Jews have great influence. So I don't know if he was even right about that. I'm not sure it's right to conceal their identity, period. They were supposed to be a leavening influence on others around them. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. But weren't the Jews here, they were in captivity? Well, I would think that logically they would be looked down on because you're superior because you took them captive, even though it's been a long time ago. Yeah. That's sort of like foreigners here in America. How many Americans look down on foreigners? Well, they had already been released. Right. this result and this eating being any reason that he would have 
free, you know, told her not to, to give right in. So I, I agree with that. I'm not sure it makes any difference. You know, I think on some of these points, it's irrelevant to the purpose of the story to know some of the reasons behind some of those things. I think regardless of why Mordecai didn't, you know, that any reason you might assign to his telling Esther to conceal her identity may not have been the right thing for a Jew to do, as they should have been proclaiming the greatness of their God. So I'm not sure it was right for him to do that, regardless of what the motivation was or that the motivation even matters. I, I never thought a lot about why he done it. I always assumed that the king wanted someone of his own nation, his own people, for the women. And the way she would get in would be by not identifying herself as a Jew. That's the only thing that ever come to, that it ever that I didn't think it, was, it wouldn't have made a difference if she was Jewish or she was some other nationality that wasn't Persian. Right. But if she's not Persian, well, don't tell them, and then go ahead right. and get in line, and maybe right. pick you. Maybe I'm not so sure that there was any uh, particular reasoning that the Persian ladies would have been better. I mean, they they said to uh, in two three to gather out of every all the provinces. Right. So, who knows? Some of those things are just really probably beyond our ability to really know. And that's what I say in this story to me. There are several questions that are intriguing, but really kind of beside the point of the story. Yeah, or whatever. You know, it's, uh, everybody's got their own uh, view on some of those things. So, at any rate, Mordecai says, Esther, use your influence. <laughs> this is the time. So, uh, 10 to 17. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these thirty days. They related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you are in the, that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. <coughs> so Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. There is a problem, Esther says. What's the problem? Yeah, for a month now. He has not called on her. He didn't really need her. He has a whole harem. And for whatever reason, she's not been the one for the last 30 days. And if she just barges in on the king's presence uncalled for, what could the consequences be? Yes. It all, you know, the king's got two choices. If she comes in 
without his asking for her. Either she dies or if he holds out the golden scepter, then she's spared. So she would be risking her life to go in before the king since he's not been calling for her. And what's Mordecai's answer? You're going to die anyway. You're a Jew. Do you think you'll escape the decree? What's more, I love verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. Now, the name of God's never spoken here, but I assume that's what Mordecai means. That the Lord will preserve our race, and so if you don't, he'll bring about somebody who will. However, who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. This is your moment of destiny. This is the defining moment in your life. It may very well be that God has put you here for exactly this reason, for exactly this time and place to intercede on behalf of your people. That's a good thing to think about. You know, have you ever wondered why am I here right now? In this situation, with this opportunity, could it be that God was setting it up to where he could use me in some way to promote his will? So I think that's that's Mordecai's uh, position. You know, it really won't help you not to go in, Esther. You'll, you'll be killed in the decree. But it may be God wants you to perform this function at this time, and that's the reason he made you queen. Thoughts and comments through 14. So, since Haman didn't necessarily know that she was a Jew, chances of her actually getting killed, would that be very good? I don't know. It may depend on whether or not people found out she was a Jew. Right. Obviously motivated her enough to go working. She listens. Verse 14. Yeah, she listens. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what part of this motivated her most. Right. But she says, all right, y'all fast, we'll fast, and I'll go into the king, and if I perish, I perish. I like that attitude. The attitude of willingness to lay her life on the line for her people. You know, how, how much do we care more about our own security than the desperate needs of the world? You know... She's willing to accept a challenge that could cost her life. You know, I mean, we're, we're not willing to inconvenience our schedule for the Lord, much less risk our life. Um, I left, actually, in Brazil. I might have read at this point, although I can read it sometime. Um, I thought it was really good. Uh, Brad, uh, Wednesday night before I left on Friday for Brazil, read an article out of a book. I don't know the book. I'm not seen it before, so I don't know much about the authenticity of this historically, but certainly was, uh, you know, the kind of thing that happened, and apparently something that had been written about in ancient history in the second century. He, he, he read an article, really interesting, about a, a young Christian lady and other Christians with her who were being persecuted and killed in the arena, in the Roman arena. Fascinating. You know, uh, and, and you just thought about and saw. I mean, you know, the Roman governor of Gaul 
said, you know, either you swear by Caesar or, you know, you die. And so a few of them stepped forward, swore by Caesar, and were released. The rest of me starts peeling off one at a time. And the soldiers with the swords and, and the wild beasts and one thing another. And uh, you see some of the interplay between all of that. And just, uh, you know, we know those kind of things happen a lot. We see it in the, in the New Testament times. Um, so, so Esther's willing to say, whatever it costs me, however much risk there may be, I'm willing to do what I ought to do. I think in this sense, Esther's an excellent example. You know, I think she she does rise to the challenge at this point. Comments and thoughts. So we've got three days of fasting. Now Esther's going to go in before the king. What's going to happen? Chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight, and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even the half of the kingdom, it shall be given to you. Esther says, If it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for them. The king said, Bring Haman quickly that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Amon came to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. As they drank the wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Even a half the kingdom, it shall be done. So Esther said, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king says. All right. It's interesting the first queen risked her life by refusing to come into King Xerxes. Esther risks her life by coming into the king unsummoned. <laughs> but as she comes in, what does the king do? Thank God. He holds out the scepter. Her life is spared. But clearly, the king knows she wouldn't do this on a whim. There must be some urgent reason she's come into his presence unrequested. And so he asks her, what do you want? I'll give it to you even to half the kingdom. And what does she ask for? prepared a banquet I want you and Haman to come to today you were expecting her to make a different request weren't you <laughs> uh, maybe she feels the need to reestablish her influence with him since she hadn't seen her in a month maybe she thinks that the king's acceptance of this request and her hospitality may make it more likely he'll be willing to listen to a request. I don't know. But he agrees. They come. And at the banquet, the king understands that she still hasn't made the request. She really, she didn't, she didn't risk her life just to ask, you know, him and Haman over for dinner. You know, there's something more important than that. And so he says again, 
what do you want? I'll give it to you up to half my kingdom. I mean, that seems to be kind of a standard thing. You know, you remember anybody else who did that? Herod. And uh, so, so, what does Queen Esther now request? Um... Um, come tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is quite an elaborate thing. My petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king says. I think she's saying by that that tomorrow she will tell him what her real, real request is. How do you suppose the king is feeling by now? Intrigued, curious. Yes. I'd be irritated. <laughs> I don't think he is. Well, it's interesting. She's the queen. He's interested in her. I think, you know, he's sort of drawn into this. What's, you know, it's kind of in, uh, kind of like uh, stay tuned uh, tomorrow when <laughs> we hear the queen say, you know, whatever. Um, so I, I suspect he's intrigued. Uh, we don't really know much about that, but at least he says yes. And so Ahasuerus and Haman are to be at Esther's banquet tomorrow when she will actually make her real request. Comments and questions? I saw that as more risky than going to the kitchen. Asking him tomorrow? Yeah. No. Good question. Why do you want Haman there? Well, I saw that as the reason why she didn't ask to begin with. I mean, maybe there's something too. She had been thirty days, but I see her as going before the king with a lot of other people around. She wants to isolate the king and Haman because. He's the enemy, and the king's the one who can save. Yeah, I think it's a good question. Now, that would not have been who I would have wanted to be there. However, I wonder if she wants the king to have to deal with Haman in her presence. Perhaps even neutralize whatever he might say in defense by his being right there. It's a bold move to me. And I'm not sure I understand all of that. I've just kind of thought of a couple of things. Actually, it's interesting. I don't think anybody in Brazil asked that question, but I wondered about that a number of times. Juan um, Heyman? Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't think anybody else. I wonder, I look at the idea that she is really buttering up the key here. Two banquets and getting to where he is really on her side. Yes. And then she wants him there because... He's now he's now on my side, and when I say this, he's going to instantly be angry, and I want the judgment now. Yes, permanent against him. Whereas if I say it, then he has to go out and make a rule later or whatever. Could be. That's well, a good point. Because he's a pushover. Yeah. <laughs> everything everybody said. If he talks to Haman about it, yes. Better to talk to Haman in her presence. That's what it seems to me like. There might be a time you want your worst enemy there. You know, I mean, I've gotten to the point where there have been times in Bible studies where it's like I'm studying with somebody and somebody of some other religious stripe is studying with the same person. Sometimes it's like, I'd really like for the two of us to be there at the same time. 
you know, because it's like every week I have to undo what they did. And, you know, sometimes it's better if you can just have the confrontation right there and let them see for themselves the difference. So, good questions. Other comments and questions? Nine to fourteen. Then Haman went out that day, glad, pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself, for I will, went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman recounted uh, to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons in every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him and above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, Even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she had prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jews sitting at the king's gate. Then Zeresh's wife and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, so he made, had the gallows made. That's amazing. You know, Haman's just overjoyed until there's Mordecai. Oh, you know, Mordecai just makes him miserable. Mordecai won't bow down to him. Mordecai won't show him respect. And, and Mordecai basically has control over Haman's mind. You know, he's robbing him of all pleasure he might have otherwise had from his high position because Mordecai won't bow down to him. What do you think about that? What did I tell you about Haman? where they were headed. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, a really great man is not worried about receiving honor and glory. It's when you promote a little man that he gets all antsy about, you know, everybody giving him the respect he's due. I think that's the case, uh, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, you see somebody who, you know, the boss that is doing well or, you know, is comfortable in the position he's in, he doesn't have to demand respect. People give the respect to him because, I mean, he's there for a purpose and you know, he's serving others. You know, the guy who really has to work hard to twist everybody's arm to be there on time and get things done is the one who is really that comfortable. Yeah. And, and a truly great man is not sensitive. He's not, he's not so worried that everybody give him due recognition. That's not what his goal is. With Haman, that's his only goal. In fact, when he goes back home and he uh, recounts everything to them, notice in verse 11 what comes before the number of his sons. 
<laughs> the glory of his riches. And then, you know, constantly thinking about how the kings promoted him. Now, twice in a row, he's the only invited guest of Esther along with the king. And yet, this does not satisfy me. Every time I see Mordecai the Jews sitting at the king's gate, he just can't stand it. He has been so busy plotting this grandiose scheme of revenge on all the Jews that he hadn't even solved the immediate problem of Mordecai not respecting him. You know, what's he going to do about that? And who helps him with that? His wife. Remember how this uh, whole book began? The wife. With the unenforceable decree that every man ought to be the master in his own house. And uh, Haman's now following the lead of his wife. What is she? Who does she remind you of? This whole story. Yeah, Jezebel and Ahab. You know, well, here's what you do, little boy. You know, I'll tell you how to get your way. Don't don't pout. Don't throw a temper tantrum. Just build this gallows. How big? Which means about 75 feet high. (laughs) We want to hang Mordecai in style, and we want everybody to see it. Makes him deader. Yeah, exactly. And we can kill, destroy, and That's right. <laughs> and maybe exterminate too. In Mordecai's case. <laughs> wow, that's funny. Yeah. Coming in, Jason. We're at the end of chapter five here in Esther. I'm stupid. How? <laughs> I've often wondered, would it take a while to build it that high? And they did it in one night? Uh, He's got the resources, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought that too. The resources, but, um, he's got the well, I mean, 75 feet, I mean, it's no taller than some trees you would have, right? Yeah, I'm some trees. These are tall trees. Logs. Huh. They dig in the ground, stick it up, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I guess so. You just have to excavate, stick the pole in, and then start nailing some poles out of that. I don't know. <laughs> Like a lot to get done in one night. I agree with that. It does. But I think that tells you how furious he is. I mean, he's probably got, you know, a crew of men working on this thing. And uh, uh, how, uh, how, tall, how, how tall would, like, a, a light pole be? 25 feet sometimes? Yeah, I agree. The power poles would be probably 50, 60. Yeah. We could certainly set those in a overnight. Yeah, but we have a little more equipment than we have. Yeah, power auger and a crane to lift it up. <laughs> yeah, but don't underestimate their ability to get things done as well. I mean, they, they, they you know. Those are some remarkable things. Absolutely. Well, remarkable They did, but overnight? Well, I mean, not in as long as you think it takes. Yeah, we've I got mean, 45 of them working on it. It probably wouldn't Yeah. Be. And they had some knowledge and ingenuity, even if they didn't have the same equipment we've yeah. got. But I agree. I, that was I, I had the same impression. They had better engineers back then. <laughs> it seems to me like that the size of this gallows is almost the measure of Haman's hatred of Mordecai. You know, I mean, he's just oh, he is obsessed with Mordecai. It's just so funny. He can't stand Mordecai. That's all he can think about. 
he obviously per, uh, conveyed that to his wife. She's the one that suggested the 50 cubits. Yes. <laughs> You're exactly right. You hate him that much, make a really tall one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think I think they get the point. Now, we're assuming banquet number two is going to provide Esther with the opportunity to beg for the life of her people, but apparently Mordecai won't even live till that banquet. This is kind of the low point of the book. Mordecai, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the dramatic point of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I was able to study this in Brazil with a few people who didn't know the rest of the story. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wasn't able to study with them one-on-one. -on -one. Love to have a few one-on-one -on -one studies with somebody and just say, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> I, I, I wonder if you could, you could study with 5,000 people and not a single soul would ever come up with what really ends up happening here. This is such an amazing story. Such an incredible turn of events. And it was fun seeing even the people reading it and the expression on their faces as they read chapter 6 and see what started to happen. It was really cool. Alright, anything else you want to say on chapter 5? Chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. During that night, the king could not sleep, so he gave an order to bring the books of a record, the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. It was found written what Mordecai reported concerning Big Fan, Big Fan and Tibesh, two of the king's eunuchs, who were doorkeepers, and they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who is in who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows which he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said to him, Behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, Who would the king desire to honor more than me? Then Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king desires to honor, let them bring a royal robe which the king has worn, and the horse on which the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown has been placed. And let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes, and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor, and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Take quickly the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so for Mordecai, the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback to the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus it shall be done. To <laughs> wow. The king can't sleep. You know, there were several times when God communicated with men through dreams. But here he uses the king's night of insomnia to a good purpose. You know, 
And and you think about, you know, okay, so Ahasuerus can't sleep. What are some of the things he could have requested? Warm milk. Warm milk? Concubines. Concubines. Yeah. 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 Yeah.